Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookin brought to you by Explore Booksellers, Aspen, Colorado's trusted community bookstore. Wherever you are in the world, it is always good to explore. My guest today is Christine Evans. Her new book is Nadia, which is published by our friends at University of Iowa Press. Christine, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to be here. It is an honor to have you here. And Christine, before we dive into your wonderful new novel, uh, you are a professor of performing arts at Georgetown University who has written many things. Uh, How does writing a novel like Nadia differ from writing a play or an opera? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I think... I think like a lot of writers, I'm moving more between genres these days. Mm-hmm. Um, something that playwriting has given me is a sense of having to not bore my audience, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that um, you really think in scenes as a playwright and you think about the interactions between character and the sound and the visual world of what you're writing and about how to make it alive in the moment and fairly compressed. And then I think for me with writing fiction, it's really lovely to have this more interior landscape available and a place where I can also really stretch out in landscape. But that sense of the scene, I was very interested when I started writing fiction to realise that fiction writers also think in terms of scenes, which I think of as a very theatrical idea. but I think that sort of training about the scene and dialogue and thinking about the visual and physical tension of the world that we're moving through, has that's something that's crossed over. And then, of course, I've had to learn a lot in fiction about all the other ways that novelists think and write and that expanded interiority that comes with the language too. Uh, Absolutely. Thank you so much. And then one other question before we dive into your novel. How did you find your way to University of Iowa Press? And what has it been like working with them? Oh, I really have loved the experience of working with you, Iowa. They, um, yeah, they they really pay attention to making a beautiful book. Um, I worked with my agent to find a publisher and Jim McCoy, who is the publisher of U Iowa Press, is the person that really connected with the book and the story. And he also had one critical comment that was very important to the book and that made me go away and rewrite the whole last half. Mm. And I think that that really changed the book much for the better. I didn't necessarily think so at the time when I got the note and I thought about all the extra work. But basically his note was you've got two characters in this book and it's very tense and back and forth between them and you need to bring that second character's voice, the voice of the soldier, up right through the book. So I did that and now I'm really glad that I did. So I would say excellent editorial feedback and really careful attention to the book and just a sense of love and commitment to what they do. You know that they're doing it just because they love books and stories. 
Fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, now let's get into your excellent novel, uh, Nadia. Thank you. For, yeah, thank you. First, can you please take a moment to just set this novel up for our listeners? Okay. So Nadia is set in the late 1990s in the former Yugoslavia, Sarajevo, and London. And Nadia is a young woman who just wants to fit into her boring temp job in her new London office until one day a young man she thinks is a sniper from the war she fled turns up to work at the next desk. So things just sort of really spiral from there into the complexities of the war, their history, the tensions between them, and then it kind of opens up into this question of can you ever really leave behind the past? And that past, the past is not as simple as it seems. People aren't entirely good or entirely bad and people have make moral compromises to get out of where they were and to move on in, in life. So that's the premise and it's it kind of spirals from there. And there's also a love story about a lost love of Nadia's um, a woman that she was involved with in the former Yugoslavia and a mystery about her disappearance. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Christine. Um, many of our listeners, uh, especially our younger listeners, perhaps may not be familiar with the historical backdrop in uh, Bosnia, Sarajevo and the surrounding regions. Can you fill us in on what was going on here during this time in the 1990s? Yes. So, this was a very complex and messy war, but I think perhaps the sort of overview version that I can give is that the former Yugoslavia was one country that was a communist country under General Tito, and the country really thought of itself as positioned between East and West, and the people living in it thought of themselves as Europeans and as Yugoslavs. It was a country that had had multiple invasions and empires moved through it, you know, being at that crossroads of the East and the West, the Ottoman Empire, the Austrian Empire. So there were a lot of different historical strands there. And then the country broke apart in the 1990s uh, when really when Serbia initiated a war to uh, have autonomy from the rest of the country as it was then and the breaking apart of the country became very mired in ethnic conflicts that were the flames of which were fanned from centuries and centuries and centuries ago and um, it broke up in this sort of messy and really horrible way um, into uh, smaller constituent states um, I think one of the things that was so shocking to me about this war, because it was kind of my coming of age war, if you like, you know, is that it was the bloodiest war in Europe since World War II. And it really foreshadowed the rise of ethno-nationalism in the West. So the kind of populism that's rising in Hungary now or other places, very much foreshadowed by this idea of ethnic hatreds being whipped up and um, this idea of fighting over those old lines and old territories. So I don't know if that really gives listeners a good sense because it's a very complex and messy war, but it 
it certainly foreshadows a lot of what is going on now, that this idea of the overall brought together block of people starts to shatter under tensions and be unsustainable. And I will say that ethnic hatred was used as a tool for military ends for this war. And we do see that happening in a lot of the world again today. We do. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Christine. Um, Nadia in this novel tells her co-workers she is from Russia. Mm -hmm. um, why does she say this? And what would be the difference in perception of someone from Russia in the London of 1997 versus the perception of someone from Russia now in 2023? Well, I think at the time it would have been much easier to see someone from Russia as a kind of economic migrant or someone who was just there, you know, for other reasons. Whereas the the war was very, was very raw. It had recently ended. Um, there was a lot of anti-refugee sentiment um, and it was also pretty unclear as to who were perpetrators of violence and who were victims of violence. So one of the reasons that Nadia says that is because this war has just so recently been on TV and people have different opinions about winners and losers. And also her status is really shaky. She's there on a visa um, that gives her temporary asylum until her claim for residence can be um, can be processed, which means that she isn't really allowed to work. So she has to pretend to be someone else. She has a very, very shady fake work permission. And she has, you know, she's a refugee who's waiting to find out whether she can stay in the country. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Christine. Listeners, we're going to pause here for a word from our sponsor. And then I will be right back with Christine Evans. The Book and Podcast would like to thank Libro.fm Audiobooks for their sponsorship. Libro.fm has the same audiobooks at the same prices as their major competitor. You know the name. But instead of supporting the Big River, you'll be supporting your favorite neighborhood bookstores. Please head on over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore, explore booksellers in the process. I'm back with Christine Evans, author of Nadia, which is published by our friends at the University of Iowa Press. Christine, let's talk about temp agencies. Um, have you ever worked for a temp agency yourself? And who do they serve exactly? Why does Nadia need them? Okay, um, so it, so temp agencies, yes, I have worked for a temp agency myself and I was truly one of the world's most terrible, terrible temps. Mm -hmm. I think I, I've been sacked from several temp jobs because you do have to have a basic practical grasp and know how computers work and that sort of thing. And at the time when I was doing it, I really didn't. Mm -hmm. um, so temp agencies are fill-in, use, um, as the name suggests, they they fill in slots for companies that need someone to do, you know, various secretarial or office type jobs in this particular case uh, at short notice when there's a rush on um, 
So it's a good way of being transient and being in a place without having to attach to it. A lot of artists make their money through working at temp agencies because it's something that they can patch around their vocation, you know, the thing that they really want to do. Um, and it's also an amazing way to get a bird's eye view into other worlds that you would never otherwise be in. So the, the motto of the temp agency that Nadia works for is short-term solutions when you need them most. Yes, absolutely. I did once work for a temp agency when I first moved to San Francisco. I got hired to pour champagne at the awesome. director's birthday party. Yes, and I met the uh, Phil Lesh, the bass player, the Grateful Dead, and got oh. backstage passes to his concert. And I think that's probably the the best temp experience I could ever have. So I never went back after that. But oh, I agree. Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful way to be inside and outside at the same time, and that's yes. also very much the position of a refugee. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Christine. Um, next, the world of your novel seems to be concerned with the possibility of the Y2K bug. Uh, mm. For our listeners who are younger than 30 or so, what was the Y2K bug and why were people so freaked out by it? Oh, it was going to be the end of the world as the internet collapsed at the stroke of midnight of 2000. And I am not 100% clear on the technicalities of it. Jason, you might be better at this than me, but um, basically it was a glitch in the time code of the internet, which was going to be out of sync at midnight on the year 2000, as the year 2000 rolled in, mm -hmm. and everything in the world that ran on the internet would collapse and giant chaos would ensue and so forth. And it was really this kind of millennial anxiety about the end of the world. And then, of course, nothing happened. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny to think back on internet technology that was theoretically going to blow up back then because it was mostly America online uh, <laughs> chat boards and such. You know, Exactly, and that dial-up internet. Yeah, exactly. Made that really funny noise. And, I can hear that. I mean, in the book, in Nadia's mind. up and down at the phone box, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. not everyone has mobile phones and the ones they do are the size of a small brick. You know, so there isn't texting. There isn't that way of being constantly in touch. It's it's kind of the last moment of a different world. Yes, absolutely. A different world it was. Well, thank you, Christine. Um, In one of the early scenes in this novel, in Bosnia, uh, a mother threatens her child by saying that she will tie her child to a tree and the headless man will come and split them, the child, in two with a black axe, unless mm. that is the child finishes their homework before dinner. So two questions here. One, who is the headless man with the black axe? And two, is this an effective and recommended parenting technique threatening to tie your child to a tree so they can be murdered by a headless axe wielder? It's probably not the greatest parenting technique in the world. I mean, I imagine the mother was pretty impatient <laughs> with this mm. particular kid. And as for the headless man, that is just totally something that I made up. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it doesn't come from any deep folkloric tradition. I was just imagining this extremely frustrated mother wanting to stop this boy from bouncing around and scare them into, into finishing their homework. My goodness. Well, maybe the deep uh, folklorish tradition starts here with your novel, uh, Nadia. Um, well, very good. Next, a question about music. 
Uh, there's a t-shirt stall in this novel that features shirts of Nick Cave, Madonna, The Clash, and The Bangles. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, one of these acts are not like the others. Uh, Nick Cave, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, but I don't think he is selling the t-shirts and records that the other three are or were. My question, Christine, is why Nick Cave? Why is he a part of this group here? Oh, there's some, I, I think, you know, you've found one of my sort of little secret coins in the novel, which is yeah. it's just a moment of homage because mm. he's such a beautiful musician and I feel like the sort of emotional and musical world that he's in is very resonant with what my characters are going through. Mm -hmm. So I kind of put him in there as a little eyewitness to that. Absolutely. And I, I love Nick Cave. I love the birthday party and the bad seeds and, and the new stuff. And listeners, we still have signed copies of Nick Cave's uh, last book here at Explore Booksellers in Aspen, Colorado. Um, but yeah, yeah, for some reason to me, he just not fit in with, I guess maybe the Bengals are a fair comparison, but not so much Madonna in the Clash. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I think too, the Camden market is like just sort of this incredible happy chaos, mm -hmm. you know, that mm -hmm. it the sort of scene there and the mixture of things and people mm. is, is so full on and so bewildering. And one thing I meant to say before about, you know, the the war in Yugoslavia that mm. is, is so fundamental is that it was a functioning multicultural society and mm. particularly in Sarajevo it was a society where Bosnians and Croats and Serbs uh, had been intermarried and lived together for a really long time. So it wasn't like this already divided bomb that was about to go off. It was literally ripped apart and many people from different ethnicities fought on the side of multiculturalism and a pluralistic society against this ethno-nationalist idea which may sound like it has nothing to do with Camden Markets and Nick Cave, but there's something about the Camden Markets and the way that all of those worlds are flung together in this beautiful muddle that speaks to a different vision of the world and something that Nadia, my character, is really attracted to and misses. Mm. Absolutely. Thank you, Christine. I saw Nick Cave, by the way, in concert, probably around the time where this novel is set. Uh, oh, wow. when he was touring with um when Lollapalooza was a touring festival way back in the olden times um mm. that was a great great show well um finally Christine I have a question about immigration immigrants specifically uh, I know that natives of England the United States etc especially right now in the present climate are suspicious of immigrants uh, paranoid about what they are doing in their countries etc um, but in your experience, are immigrants equally suspicious of other immigrants, as is the case in this novel, Nadia? If so, why? And how can we all learn to trust one another? It's not like countries are doing many of us many favors at the present moment. So why mm. be so territorial? That is a really big question. Um, as I'm going to take maybe the easiest part first which is about whether immigrants are suspicious of each other mm -hmm. and I think really it's impossible to generalize mm -hmm. you know I, I think that people who leave their country under desperate circumstances such as 
that's refugees or asylum seekers come with a very different mindset and reasons for moving than people who, you know, want economic opportunity or have less urgent life-threatening pressures behind them. And, you know, my encounters with people who've arrived seeking asylum through, you know, earlier research and work in Australia as well as for this book is that people are just so desperately grateful and thankful to have a little place in the world, you mm. know, that the energy of being hostile to anyone else isn't there. It's just like, please give us peace, give us a home. And often there are people who are very, very committed to building a life and making things work again. In my particular novel, Nadia is really suspicious of Iggy, not because he's another immigrant, but because she thinks he might have been a killer in the very city that she fled, he might have been on the other side of the war. So that's a very specific sort of suspicion. Um, and in terms of the bigger question, you know, I think of that quote that's attributed to Einstein, and he may or may not have ever said it, which is that a problem cannot be solved at the level at which it appears, which to me also means that there's so many pressures on our world that are forcing people into the largest Accident, exodus in history, you know, so climate change, famine, war, people's worlds are collapsing in many parts of the world and they don't really have the choice. They're not really able to stay where they are. And to just close borders and get ferocious about it is not the solution because it's a worldwide problem and I think we can really only solve it together by thinking together and thinking capaciously about how do we effectively share what we have and come back to this very eroding idea of basic human rights? Absolutely. Thank you so much for that answer, Christine. And thank you for writing this wonderful, oh. wonderful novel. Listeners, I've been speaking with Christine Evans, author of Nadia, which is published by our friends at University of Iowa Press. Christine, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Once again, I would like to thank Christine Evans for joining me. Copies of Nadia can be ordered from www.explorebooksellers.com with free shipping for members of Explore More Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsors, Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstores in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Bookin'.